Okay, hi, good to see you this morning. Yeah, my name's Al, I'm one of the leaders here at King's. And uh, yeah, as Richard said already, special welcome to you if you're here particularly to see Carol, Alia or Elijah getting baptised this morning, or you're just, you just new here for whatever reason. I hope you're enjoying it the morning so far. Uh, just a quick cheeky plug as well. We're thinking about uh, making a difference. We know at Christmas time we're often aware that some people are less fortunate than we are. Um, we've got a couple of things going on at the moment, little things. One is to donate to local food banks. We have a basket in the, uh, in the entrance. They've asked for sort of Christmas kind of goodies to go in there. So uh, if you're able to help with that over the next week, that'd be brilliant. We've also got a little appeal going on to buy some gift cards for some families in need at Christmas who uh, have been recommended to us locally. Uh, we've got details of that in our connect sheet by the doors. So uh, if you want to know more about those, do, uh, do look in the sheet afterwards. But um, yeah, it's good to be here this morning for uh, the baptisms. And as you can see, we've got our baptism pool ready over here with the swimming pool steps. Um, you don't often see a pool of water at the front of a sort of audience, do you? I mean, apart from when you've got like a magician, like David Blaine, going to lock someone up with, with uh, chains and handcuffs and put them in the pool and we'll see if they can get out before they stop breathing. But no, we're not going to do that this morning, so don't worry. Don't worry if you're getting baptised. It's totally safe. Uh, there's no magic going on this morning. In fact, there is, there is no magic going on this morning. We haven't got any magic water here this morning. They're not going to come out with a sort of glow or a sort of halo, or they're not going to come out, you know, they're not a Christian when they go in, they're a Christian when they come out, or they're, they're sort of perfect when they come out. In fact, the only thing that's going to change when they come out is that they're going to be wet <laughs> and a bit cold. No, no, they're not going to be cold. No, we, we have heated the water. Um, but what we're going to hear about this morning, I guess, is that God, we've been hearing a little bit already, God changes lives. And actually, the, the baptism is a symbol. It doesn't change anything, but it's a symbol of what God has already done in the lives of someone who's become a Christian. To change them, to change them on the inside. You, you can't necessarily see it. You can maybe see its effects. And uh, we're going to be celebrating this morning. We're going to hear hearing the story of uh, Carol and Alia and Elijah later on about how God has changed their life as they share a little bit on the video later. But that's what, uh, that's what this tank is about. It's about kind of representing what God has already done in their lives to change them. The Bible says baptism is a picture of being washed clean. Washed clean from the wrong things that we've done. Forgiven by God's from the things that separate us from God, spoil our relationship with him that we were made to have. It's a symbol of, of dying and rising to new life. Um, going down into the water, it's like saying, that's the end of my old way of life, living for me, living with me in charge, and coming up to a new life with God at the centre, living for Jesus, knowing his joy and his peace and his hope and his purpose in life. And we want to celebrate what God has done in Carol's life and Alia's life and Elijah's life this morning. But if you're a Christian here this morning, maybe you've been baptised in the past, you can rem be reminded this morning and be thankful for what God has done in your life. It doesn't stop when you get baptised. God carries on working in us and changing us and transforming us to be more and more the people he wants us to be. 
If you're here this morning, you're, you're not a Christian or you're not really sure what you are, um, we just hope that this will, this will help you. Hope at least it's interesting. Um, hope it will give you a better idea what baptism is all about. But more than that, about the kind of changes that God can bring about in someone's life. And actually, he wants to bring about in your life as well. So um, on that theme, we're going to look at a story from the Bible, a true story from the Bible, um, which ends up with someone being baptised. Um, but there's all sorts of incredible things that happen in this story. And what we see is a number of people showing the, the kind of evidence that they have had their lives changed by God. So uh, the words are going to come up on the screen in a second. But just to say, before I, uh, before I read, it's part of a longer series of events in the, the very early days of the early church, after Jesus died and rose again and went back to heaven, um, people, his disciples went around telling people about Jesus so that they could have their lives changed by him as they put their trust in him. And two of those guys were called Paul and Silas. They went around telling people about Jesus and what he could do, it, do for them. And Some loved to hear the message. Some people had their lives changed. Other people hated it. Because it was kind of countercultural, um, because it challenged what many people thought. And some people didn't like it, and some people stirred up trouble when they were trying to tell people about Jesus. And this story comes from a time when Paul and Silas, they were in a city called Philippi. It's in Greece today, you can go and visit the ruins. Um, and some people, they didn't like the, this message of Jesus, they didn't like it. Um, and, and they stirred up trouble about what Paul um, and Silas were saying. And so this is what happens. Acts chapter 16. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At, at once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains became loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your households. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. 
He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Well, I want to point out three examples from uh, that true story of God changing lives in those things that happened back then. Um, Not just because they're interesting and amazing, which they are, but also because God is still doing the same kind of thing today and he can do it for you. So the first one is joy in suffering. Joy in suffering. Paul and Silas, I don't know if you picked up from the story, they had been treated pretty badly. They were, I mean, basically, they were trying to do people a favor by telling them about Jesus. They were saying, look, we've, we've found that Jesus has changed our lives. We'd just love to tell you about it too. So he can, he can bless you and help you and change your life too. But somehow people have got the wrong, the wrong idea and uh, they turned nasty and uh, they hadn't done anything wrong. And yet they didn't even get a proper trial. They didn't, no one even wanted to hear their side of the story. They just got chucked into prison. They got beaten up. Um, we, ha- we hear that they're kind of wounded. Only later on you hear in the story that they, were, they got their kind of wounds washed. So they must have been in a pretty bad way. They, um, they, were, they were chucked into the worst part of the prison. It talks about them being put into the inner cell. Probably like being put in a dungeon with no lights, no windows. They had their feet put in the stocks. It's not like when you go to a theme park, uh, like Legoland or something, and you put your, your feet in these massive holes and someone takes a picture of you. No, this was like being chained up. You couldn't move. It was so you couldn't escape. Not, uncom- not comfortable at all. And no wonder they're still awake at midnight. You know, they're beaten, they're bruised, they're bleeding. They're, they're, they've got these tight chains around them. But amazingly, after all that's happened to them, they are not cursing and complaining. I mean, it can't be understandable if they were. What are they doing? It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. They're wounded, they're bruised, they're bleeding. Maybe they've got cracked ribs, broken teeth. They've been treated in an outrageous shameful, unfair way, and yet they've got this peace and joy. They're chained up. They've kind of lost their freedom, but inside they're feeling free and they're praising God. They're singing to God. They're they're happy in God somehow, even though they are suffering. They're not kind of like doing some kind of funny thing. They're pretending, no, no, I'm not really in these chains. It's not really happening to me. No, they know what's happening, but they know that inside God has done something in them which makes all the difference. And actually, even with what they're going through, they can have that peace and joy. And it was unusual. It was unusual because it caught the attention of the other prisoners who were there. During the Second World War, there's the story of... um, a Christian woman from Holland called Corrie ten Boom. And uh, she was put in a concentration camp by the Nazis for protecting Jews in her home. They hid, pe- hid Jews in their, their home and they got found out. She got put in a concentration camp with her sister. And she wrote a book called The Hiding Place. She describes the terrible conditions in this concentration camp. The overcrowding, the fleas, the awful sanitation, the suffering... But for her and her sister, it was their Christian faith that kept them going. 
She said, she wrote, on the one hand, life got more and more horrible every day. But on the other hand, life in God somehow got better and better as she found the promises of God to be more and more true, more and more something to hang on to. Promises like this in the Bible. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. There's some amazing stories out there of, of, peop- of where God has helped someone to have joy in the face of suffering. Not just in the extremes of prison or in concentration camps, but I know we've got people here this morning. If we were able to ask and you, you were able to share, we've got people here this morning, many people here this morning have known God's joy and his peace amongst family problems, anxiety, bullying, money worries, losing your job, illness, alarming test results, even sort of long-term sickness that just isn't really going away, gives, makes life difficult every day. Many have known God's comfort and, and his, his, his help when someone they love has died. God is still able to, and he, and he does help Christians when they've put their trust in Jesus to have joy in the face of suffering. Becoming a Christian, it's not, it doesn't mean that uh, things all stop going wrong in your life. Suddenly everything's trouble-free. In fact, sometimes when you become a Christian, things get more difficult because you're a Christian. Like we hear in, in the story, it's because they were trying to tell people about Jesus that trouble came on them. But God gives us a deep joy and a peace inside, even when things look grim on the outside. Is that something you could do within your life at the moment? Joy in the face of suffering. God wants to offer that to you this morning. He can bring about that change as you put your trust in Jesus. Well, the second example of God changing lives in the story is this forgiveness after cruelty. Forgiveness after cruelty. Paul and Silas, they hadn't just been on the receiving end of sort of injustice from the courts, as it were, the government officials, the magistrates, but also from the jailer. Perhaps it might not be so uh, obvious to us when we first read this. When I first read this story, I imagine the jailer was a bit like a sort of jailer in like a cartoon, like Scooby-Doo, like a sort of, you know, sort of creepy old guy with a big bunch of keys unlocking the door. You know, no, no, nothing, to be, nothing to be afraid of, but just a bit weird. Uh, but no, apparently jailers at this time, they were like ex-army. They were like tough guys. And, and this guy, he took his job very seriously. He was told to guard Paul and Silas carefully. So he says, right, I'm, I'm going to go the whole hog. I'm going to put them in the inner cell. I'm going to put them in this sort of center of the prison where there's no windows, perhaps no fresh air coming in. I'm going to put their feet in the stocks. I'm going to chain them up. They're going nowhere, these guys. And he, he didn't treat them well. It's only later in the story when... We'll see in a, in a minute. When he starts being nice to them, um, that he actually washes their wounds and he gives them something to eat. Presumably they were just, they were just sort of chucked in there in whatever state they came in. No food, no care, no nothing. He, 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 I mean, you might understand it. He's thinking, these guys, I've been told they're dangerous. They're dangerous criminals. But I mean, from, from Paul and Silas's point of view, this is hugely unfair, isn't it? Hugely uh, cruel, hugely outrageous how they've been treated. You could understand it 
if Paul and Silas were not going to do this guy any favours. But in fact, what happens is they do him a massive favour. They save his life. So we read on in the story, just back to what we read earlier. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Brilliant. Brilliant. It's like that get out of jail free card in Monopoly, but in real life. Uh, They think, well, we didn't deserve to be here anyway. The chains have come off. The doors are open. Let's make a break for it. But they didn't. They stayed where they were because they cared about the jailer. So it says, the jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. What's going on? What's going on? Why was he getting a sword out for and about to kill himself just because the prisoners had escaped? Maybe he can go home early if there's no prisoners. Well, no, it's not really like that. You know, in that culture in, in those days, you know, he, he'd have, if the prisoners had escaped, earthquake or no earthquake, he'd not just be in for the sack, he'd be in for the chop, he'd be in for execution. This was like, this was his, you know, his job that he'd been given and the Roman army, they don't, they don't mess around. He, he thinks, I'm going to get executed. The, guy, the, 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 the doors are open, I can't really see what's happening, it's dark, I guess everyone's gone. I don't want to be up for a public humiliation of execution in front of my family and everything. I'm just going to kill myself now and just be done with it. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. And Paul and Silas, it's like they've not only stayed behind. It seems as though they've, they've managed to gather up the other prisoners and says, you know, just, just hang around a minute, guys. Um, and... Uh, because they're concerned. Paul and Silas, despite the way they've been treated, despite the fact that they think, I sh- we shouldn't have been in this prison, we should have been treated this way, they are concerned for the jailer. Jesus taught, love your enemies. And, and, and this is it in practice. This is them loving their enemies. That's a change that God can bring about in your life to enable you to love your enemies. Jesus loved his enemies. Actually, the Bible says that while we were his enemies, while we turned away from God, uh, Jesus died for us. Jesus died to save us so we could come back to him. Because Jesus died on the cross to the people who were, who were actually executing him. He said to God, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And Paul and Silas, they were showing, they were walking in the Jesus way. They were doing the Jesus thing, showing forgiveness, even when they were facing cruelty and injustice. They could have paid the guy back. They could have thought, well, let's, let's just escape. But no, they wanted to show him forgiveness and kindness. It was a sign that God was a work in their life. It was a sign that God had changed them. It's not the normal thing that people would want to do. Now, we don't, we don't want to pretend that Christians have a monopoly on forgiveness. Many, many people forgive. It's hard. It's hard to forgive. The bigger the thing, the more difficult it is. But we do know that God gives us a power and a strength to be able to forgive when sometimes it just seems impossible. In the 1950s, uh, five American missionaries, um, including a man called Jim Elliott, they were, they were in uh, South America in the Amazon rainforest. They were trying to reach out to uh, a tribe of uh, Indians there. Um, 
who really had no kind of contact with the outside world, I think. And they tried to gain their trust. They tried to get to know them. They tried to sort of make peace with them. So ultimately that they could talk to them about their Christian faith in Jesus. But just when they thought it was going well, one day all those five missionaries were murdered by the tribe. And it was, it was in the new, very much in the news at the time. But out of that came a great story of forgiveness because the, the wife of one of those guys, Jim, uh, Elizabeth Elliot, and the sister of one of the guys who'd been murdered, later on they went to live with that tribe. They hadn't given up on them. They went to live with that tribe. They wanted to continue the work that the husband and the brother had been doing. And do you know what? The, the, the fact that it sort of demonstrated this forgiveness really kind of touched the people of that tribe. And, and many members of them became Christians in the end, touched by this sort of display of forgiveness. Helping us to forgive is one of the many changes that God brings about in our lives when we become Christians and we put our trust in Jesus. It's not always as dramatic as forgiving people who've murdered relatives. It's not always uh, as dramatic as forgiving people who've treated us, you know, actually beaten us up, put us in prison. But God does, in all sorts of levels, help us. I know in my life there have been people who've hurt me, things that people who've hurt me, people who have never said sorry, who've never recognized they've done anything wrong, but God has helped me to forgive them and move on. And even when I see them around, to treat them well, to not hold it against them. God cannot do the same for you. Would you like to know God's help to forgive? Are there people who've been harsh with you, cruel to you, unfair to you? People, you just can't forget what they've done to you. The Bible says, as I said earlier, while we were still God's enemies, Jesus died for us. While we were at a distance from God, while we put a distance between ourselves and God, Jesus did what was necessary to, to show love to us and kindness and pay for the wrong things we'd done when he died on the cross to bring us back, bring us back into friendship and relationship with him. If we put our trust in him, we can know forgiveness from God. A fresh start, a clean slate. God forgives us and he forgets. The Bible says he, he forgets and he forgives the wrong things we've done. He doesn't hold them against us, whatever we've done. And then he helps us to forgive others, whatever they've done to us. Do you need God's forgiveness this morning? He freely offers it to us in Jesus. If you're a Christian here this morning, we need to remember that this is a really key part of the Christian message of the gospel. Are you living in the light of that? Are you living a life of forgiveness like God has forgiven you? Are there people you need to actually say, God, please help me. Draw on God's strength and his help to forgive others. Well, the third life-changing thing we see in this story is celebration out of despair. Celebration out of despair. So back to the story. There's been an earthquake. The jailer's about to kill himself. But it turns out all the prisoners are still there. So it says the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now we're not told exactly what he meant by this question. What does he mean? What was he thinking? What must I do to be saved? Saved from what? But we know that being saved is the way that early Christians regularly talked about what it was to become 
a Christian to get right with God, to be saved from the judgment, the punishment we deserve. And the jailer, I guess he picks up on this. I suppose there was a sense of despair for this man. You know, his, his prison had fallen apart, literally fallen apart. He'd nearly died. Uh, what is, what's going to happen? What, is he, what does he face the next day after all of this has happened with his employers? But here are two guys who've got something that he wants. Maybe he's thinking, his two guys, I've treated them, them roughly. They're, they're in pain, they're bleeding, they're injured. And yet they're singing songs of praise to God. I, I've just, I wouldn't normally expect to be making friends with the prisoners the way I treat them. But look at the way they've done me a favour and actually saved my life. And this earthquake, I mean, maybe that's even their God doing something here to set them free. I need help. Maybe these guys have got the answer. What must I do to be saved? I suppose most of us ask a question like that at some point in life. We may not use those words, but those moments where we recognize I'm weak, I need something, I haven't got what I need inside to to live the life I want to live. I let myself down, I let others down. I need help. I need something from outside of me to help me. Now, I'm not sure what the jailer thought he was going to get the answer back was. He said, what must I do to be saved? But actually, the answer was, just believe. Just believe. You don't have to do anything, in fact. Just believe it's already done for you. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. You and your household. See, many people think that being a Christian is all about what I need to do. Living a good life, helping others, giving money, going to church, obeying the rules. Now, those things do become important to people when they become Christians. Not because you feel you have to, because you want to. God changes you to want to do good things like that. But actually, becoming a Christian, accepted by God, is actually not so much about what we do, but about what's been done for us. It's about believing in, trusting in what Jesus has done for us. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live. And when we trust in him, it's like it becomes ours. God sees us. Perfect, like Jesus is. When he died on the cross, it was to take the consequences, the shame, the guilt for the wrong things we've done, the, our mistakes and our failures towards God and towards others. And when Jesus died, uh, rose from the dead, kind of that became ours as well. He's done it for us. He rose from the dead. And as we'll see in, in baptism, represented in baptism, we get that new life um, that Jesus has he's done it for us. Um, But he gives it to us as we trust in him. So when uh, Carol and Alia and Elijah get baptized uh, uh, in a short while, it's not another thing that Christians have to do. Oh yeah, you have to get baptized as well. It's another thing you have to do for God to accept you and love you. No, no, it's a symbol of what God's already done. That we just have to believe it. We just have to receive it like a gift. Just accept what he's done for us. Going down into the water, like, like Jesus going down into the grave, coming up out of the water like Jesus rising to new life and beginning that new life with God at the centre. Knowing that your sins have been forgiven, washed clean and living the life God wants you to live. Just back to the jailer, he got baptised too in the story Paul and Silas explained all about it. They explained the message of Jesus to his family. In fact, he and his whole family 
got baptised on that day. And God already be- God began to change his life straight away. He was kind to Paul and Silas, not like he would be to normal prisoners. He washed their wounds. He gave them a meal. He invited these prisoners into his house and gave them a meal with his family. And it says he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. This whole kind of prison story here, it just shows some of the ways that God changes lives. Joy and suffering, forgiveness after cruelty or injustice, celebration in the midst of despair. As we're going to hear uh, from Carol, Arley and Elijah in a minute, um, we're going to hear the difference that God has made in their lives. Um, But I guess the question I want to leave you with this morning is, if God is real and he changes lives, how would you like him to change your life? What would you like him to do for you? You might have all sorts of questions about God and the Christian faith. You might actually be quite sceptical about it. You might have to have your arm twisted to be here this morning. But at King's Church, we love to help people. Even people are very sceptical and unsure. We love to help people explore the Christian faith. Why did Je- Who is Jesus? Why did he come? What does he mean for me? What difference can he make in my life? We love helping people who've got no faith background at all. People who are worried that they're going to ask a silly question. Uh, no, no, there are no silly questions at King's Church. We just love you to have whatever opportunity you want to explore at your pace under no pressure. Three ways you can do that. One, as James has said earlier, come back at Christmas. Christmas is a great time of year. There's obviously great things about Christmas, but Christmas is a great time of year to explore the most wonderful gift that we've ever been given. God sending his son to, to bring us back to himself. You can come and explore and enjoy those events. Uh, come back any Sunday. It's not, this, isn't, this is a special Sunday today, but actually every week we have people here who are exploring the Christian faith, who are, as Rich said earlier, joining in as much or as little as they want to. Some people just sitting back and watching and observing and enjoying the coffee afterwards. That's fine. That's totally fine. We want Sundays to be a place where you can come and just sort of dip your toe in the water and see what's going on and explore. And we'll always have something for you as part of the morning and as part of the talk. The other thing is we have a course beginning the new year. We'll talk about it more at Christmas called our Explore course. It's eight evenings in a relaxed way with other people who are interested to explore the Christian faith. Ask all the questions you want and we'll talk more about that when we get closer to Christmas and it'll be on our website as well. So thanks very much for listening this morning. Let me pray and then uh, I'll tell you what we're doing next. Father God, we just thank you for the change that you brought about in the lives of those people uh, that we read about in the Bible this morning, uh, those other people that we heard the stories of. I'll thank you for the change that you brought about in Carol and Alia and Elijah's life who were baptizing this morning. Lord, thank you that you do change lives. And I pray that, Lord, particularly if, if we're someone who is not sure about you, not sure about what difference you can make in our lives, not sure whether you're a, it's a good thing or not, I do pray that, Lord, help everyone here this morning to just be convinced and to know uh, that you're good, you change lives for the better, and that can be for them. In Jesus' name. Amen.